Well, 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 welcome to the mayhem Dick and Lloyd mayhem Media mayhem Market in a mayhem You might love it, you might hate it It's my favorite freaking show Hey, come on in. Corks are flying everywhere. Wine corks, that is. We're with Kansas City man Doug Frost, expert in wine all over the world. We're going to see how he got started and find out more. Hang on a minute. Let me get this. Uh, Yes, hello. Hey, Dick, it's Buzz. Buzz Martini. Oh, Buzz Martini, uh, the sales guy for our podcast. Yeah. Uh, What's up, Buzz? Everything okay? Yeah. How you doing, Dick? Uh, good. Hey. Yeah. Listen, I was, uh, you got on, uh, Doug Frost. The wine guy, oh, yeah. I love that guy. Hey, listen, yeah. champ. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, reading up about a book about Doug Frost's, um, yeah. wines, elections. Selections. It was so good. And I uh-huh. tried them all. Oh, that's what the problem is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see. Uh, yeah. Okay, Jim. Uh, well, listen, I, I'm looking forward to actually listening to this uh, yeah. episode of uh-huh. Dick and Lloyd's Media and Marketing Mayhem yeah. show. Uh. Hey, Lloyd, where are we? This is a great place here. We're at the restaurant at 1900. You know what is cool? We're with Doug Frost, Yo. the legend. You mean the man who is one of four somethings in the world? Yeah, the yes. something and the something. And the something. I have two somethings. <laughs> I have two somethings. That and is very important. It took a lot of work. I know it did, <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, you know, we've heard that, but give us your title again. Well, I, I have both the title of Master Sommelier and Master of Wine. And so, yes, there are three other guys out there, you know, one guy in London and one guy in in Hungary and one guy in Miami. But can I'm we still take them out? You think I'm going to hunt them down. I'm going to hunt them down and take Still hoping something bad befalls one of those other guys. But didn't I read that you were the second in the world to achieve that? I was, yeah, that's true. Now, this may be one of those crazy Doug Frost legends, but did you, like, have some score that was perfect, or uh, were you the only guy that identified every wine they threw at you from everywhere in the world? Well, that's this. Yeah, no. Uh, it's it's one of those. I do remember uh, distinctly the the master of wine uh, final exam. There are thirty six wines, and I got thirty four of them right, and I felt pretty good about it. Except a friend of mine, uh, a master sommelier named Fran Casella, his dad was the president of Les Amis de Van, which was once upon a time the wine club in the U.S. And so ever since Fran was a little kid, his dad would be like, hey, Fran, go get me a Chateau Mouton. Get one of those older ones, something from the 60s or 70s. Say he'd go down to the cellar and get it, and his dad would have him taste the wine. So the 36 wines, I felt pretty good getting 30, 34 of them right, but Fran got 35 of them right. Oh, and, and of course, Yeah, and as soon as he told me the, one of the wines, I still remember just cursing wildly because he was like, well, what about, you know, Marques de Caceres White. I'm like, damn it, man, <laughs> how did you do that? No. Wow. Yeah, wow. so, you know, it's it's a little bit of a parlor game, but um, it's it's not intended to be that. It's supposed to be just a uh, an examination of your ability to analyze a wine and make sense out of it and how it was made and all that. And that's just by taste, is that right? Mostly by aroma. You're really trying just uh, to uh, figure out 
what it smells like. Uh, you know, good three quarters of all that info is all in the nose. That's the right. Yeah, on. sure. Yeah. Yes. That's so, where all, all your taste and everything comes from, really. Pretty much. Yeah, you know, uh -huh. other sweet, sour, salt, bitter, umami. Mm -hmm. But there's only so much information in there, and, and all the really detailed stuff comes out of the, the aromas. Well, Doug, it wasn't wine that first got you interested in this uh, restaurant business, was it? Or is that Well, I was washing dishes at 14. So, That's what I know, thought. I, was trying just to, I, think I, I think I got paid $1.36 an hour. Felt pretty good about it at fourteen, you know. So I have some. It was a steakhouse. Okay, It was a bizarre place. <laughs> I uh, I would wash dishes back there on a Saturday night, and the owner, who was really an angry man, um, would come back there cursing at me, throw literally, physically throw me out of the way because he was a big, big man, and then <laughs> scream at me, "This is how you wash dishes," and get me so far behind. You know, there'd just be really? like when he'd come back, there'd be two bus tubs. Mm -hmm. When he'd leave, there'd be twenty. <laughs> and, and then he'd curse at me and leave, and I was just like, I hate this place so much. But I, you know, I realized you could make some jack in the restaurant business out front, so I got mm -hmm. myself out front as soon as I could. Let's see what we have coming to the table here. Oh, look at this! Yeah. Oh yeah, ocho pinti il frappato. Tell us about our breakfast wine. <laughs> well, uh, the woman who makes this is a kind of a treasure. She has, I wouldn't say single-handedly, but, but certainly is emblematic of, of this new, uh, new set of young winemakers in Italy. And particularly, she's in Sicily, which is, produces as much wine as the state of freaking California, even mm, though it's just yeah. an island. You're kidding. Um, no, it, it, it's, and most of it's pretty, who cares? But um, there are a lot of really good people there. And there's some that have been around for a long time have, have done a really good job, like Regali Ali uh, uh, or Donna Fugata or place like that. But, but uh, Ocho Pinti represents one of these small producers that's just focused on the indigenous grapes there, whereas a lot of these other big companies have tried to grow some Cabernet and Merlot and Syrah and Chardonnay and all that. Um, so this is, uh, this is Frappato. Uh, there's a little Norella Mascalese in there too. Mm -hmm. And it smells good. <laughs> well, like, let's like have us some. I like it. Jeez. I wish I could remember the name, but we had uh, we took a bunch of people on a cruise one time, and we, one of our stops was Sicily, and we had uh, lunch at a winery up on the side of Mount Etna. Oh man! So and there's I'll have to look great, at my photos and see what the name of it is. There's some great wines there too. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mount Etna is a Mount Etna is a cool place. It really is. Um, and there's great wines grown there. That, that's where Norella Mascalese really comes into its own. And uh, it's a semi-dangerous place, I suppose, to grow wine, but it's one of my favorite wines these days. And, and it's kind of a tart cranberry thing, um, yeah, much, you know, not so different from, from this guy here, but... Uh, and since cheers. these, these ah. smaller little, these right. little local varietals, they were on an island, did they, were they part of that whole thing where they had to be grafted onto Zinfandel roots and everything? Yeah, yeah, pretty much everybody. Now, e every um, single variety, right? Yeah, pretty much everybody around the world um, is, on, um, their, uh, is on American rootstock. Um, Phylloxera is this microscopic bug that came from, uh, frankly, from North America and infiltrated uh, vineyards in, in France when people sent some cuttings over there uh, back in the 1860s. And it uh, had no problem virtually destroying all the vineyards. So, so we had to go over there and save them again. And to save their asses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Except, let's do bear in mind, we're the ones that took the disease, you know, the problem well, over sure, there. Well, sure, but that's there okay. That's with. manifest yeah. destiny. Uh, man, first we're going to mess you up, and <laughs> then we're right. going to rescue you. Problem eight and solutionize. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs>
Europe, you're welcome. Uh, very yeah. good. Now, you got started. Did I read something here that when you were 15, you tasted your first wine? Sure, yeah. No, that, that's absolutely true. Uh, just because my mom and dad didn't really drink, mm -hmm. per se. Although, um, <laughs> it was like good mid Midwesterners, uh, they're originally from the Bay. We're all originally from, from the West Coast, but uh, moved out here when I was a little kid. And uh, like, like good Midwesterners, there was no drinking, except my dad would come home from work and he would go into the kitchen. You knew not to talk to him till he went into the kitchen and you'd hear kind of, you know, some water pouring and then you hear something glug, 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 glug into a glass mm -hmm. and then, you know, then you'd hear a glass being washed out and then my dad was in a better mood. Okay. And you'd hear a little cabinet closed because there <laughs> happened to be some brown bottles up in the top cabinet there yeah, where uh -huh. we couldn't get to them until, of course, I got to them and yeah. drained good things out of them and refilled them with water. And, oh, uh, did you okay. do that too? Oh, hell yeah. Of course, you, you do what you gotta do. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. I don't know why my dad forgave me. For I that got crap. started on the Jack Daniels that way. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I was the same age. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you do what you got to do. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I drank. Uh, so I went. We we would go out to California every year uh, around Christmas time to be with the family, mm -hmm. and because uh, as I say, we were the only ones that lived out anywhere other than the Bay Area at this point, and so we went to my uncle's house, Uncle Gene, and. Uh, you know, at the age of 15, when, when your uncle says, hey, Doug, you want to help me pick the wine? No. And you're like, yeah, I sure will, you know. And so he went down, I went downstairs, and he had, like, this little cellar. Uh, he, of course, thinks this story is absurd. He remembers it a bit differently in, in that it was like, there's, like, three cases of wine or something. But I remember it was all laid out, and I remember distinctly, distinctly that he told me, well, this is Cabernet Sauvignon, and most people think that's the best grape because it lives the longest, and it's a you know bigger, richer, bolder uh, grape. But, you know, this is Pinot Noir, and some people really like that. Some people think it's a little too subtle, but some people think it's really elegant. And, you know, at the age of 15, I'm like, elegant? Well, that's for me. You know? <laughs> I got that elegant, elegant thing going, you know. <laughs> so, so I remember I picked this 1968 Louis Martini Special Select Pinot Noir, which is... Um, kind of a legendary bottle now, mm -hmm. but it wasn't then, at that, at that time, it wasn't an expensive wine. And I thought, damn, this tastes really good. Is this what wine is like? I'm, I, you know, I wish my, my mom and dad drank this stuff, mm -hmm. but they didn't. I, I, but I remembered the wine because it was really a cool thing to remember and uh, I was working in restaurants. So you'd think of something like that because at some point somebody can say, hey, do you know anything about wines? Like, well, I've had yes. Louis Martini specials, what, <laughs> being noir. It's very no elegant. No way, you know, it was very <laughs> elegant. And, uh, but which Annie Green Springs flavor? Well, that was, the, that was the, uh, the, the utter truth. The next bottle of wine I ever had was, was uh, uh, Country Quencher and Annie Green Springs mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. Boone's you know. Farm. Yeah, Boone's Farm. I used to find a, a bottle of Boone's Farm put me right where I wanted to be for the evening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for yes, real. Uh -huh. And yeah. I remember the first bottle of wine I bought in a restaurant was Blue Nun. Okay. Because That's I was about gonna, all there was. Uh, that, yeah, but I was going to get lucky tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Nun. Yeah. Give me Rosé or Blue Nun. Ma yeah, Matouche, no, yeah. was pretty good, up, you know, for candles and stuff like that, but... Um, no, the Blue Nun. It, it. I will say for the record, I did not get lucky that night. But, oh, you know, okay. Yes. Subsequently. Well, I used to so order. It's a long uh, game I'm playing yeah, here. It is. So. Well, let me think here. Bring me anything that's wrapped in straw, a bottle in straw. I'll take oh, that. Yeah, so. yeah. The old. Uh, the, it, it, it's a funny thing. You know what they call the, the Italian word for the old Fiasco. Italian? Yeah, exactly. Which is, I think, what it was from a marketing standpoint. It was a. Fiasco. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, that's exactly what the term is for the, the straw wrap bottle. Wow. So it's what's funny, we were interviewing, Dick and I were talking to 
our mutual friend Joe Wilcox. Mm -hmm. And he was telling us about the Plaza Three Days and yeah, how the wine yeah. thing just started, and that, that was an early emerging yep. place there with the talking about Blue Nun. You know, <laughs> yeah. now, now you were part of that scene too, right? Oh, I, yeah, I worked there before Joe was there, um, but yeah, I worked there. It's where I met a guy named John Scupney. He was the wine steward then, and Scupney took me to my first wine tasting, and and I honestly give all credit to Scupney. He was my first wine teacher. He was, you know, took me my first tasting. It was Bordeaux tasting. We probably had some first and second growths there because back then you could afford that stuff. You mm -hmm. know, to t today kids, I don't know how they ever learn about wine because you know, Bordeaux costs a thousand dollars a bottle. Back then, you, you know, everybody throw a 20 on the table and we'll, we'll split this first growth Bordeaux. And, mm -hmm. um, so Scup took me to my first tasting and Scup owns, uh, he and his wife own a winery called Lang and Reed. Uh, his uh, son has been the winemaker there, one of his sons. The other son uh, is, uh, I, you know, it's just as cool as it can Where be. Where is it? Uh, it's in Napa Valley. Okay. And, and Scott, uh, after, after uh, I worked with him for a few years, then he and Tracy decided to move to, um, to Napa. And he subsequently was the, the GM at Nebom Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola's winery, and has done some really great things. He was a hell of a good uh, first teacher, for real, and he so was the wine So if it weren't for him yeah. and his influence, you were kind of a bad kid. I remember you were kind of a... Yeah, uh, I, was, I was not, I, I, yeah, I did not follow rules what, well. What would, have, what would Doug Frost be doing if, if, I don't if know, that man. wine thing didn't happen? I don't I mean, know, I really don't know. I, it, we, I have a theater degree, so... Uh, the idea was always to, to do theater, but I, I really spun my wheels on that one. What do you remember as one of your great roles that you played when you were in the yes. theater area? What did you well, I don't think that I ever had any great performances, to be honest with you. But mm -hmm. I, I uh, you know, my last roles, things like I did uh, the lead in Company, Sondheim's Company. Mm -hmm. I was, I was okay. Bobby, and I did a, a pretty average job in that. I was Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream okay. in, a, in a production. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but but uh, professional uh, theater, uh, you know, I had had roles in things like you know Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap and yeah, things like sure. that, and I did have fun with that. And and uh, actually uh, was you know did choreography, did did uh, was directing. what theaters around Kansas City would nothing we have here. seen you in? Nothing no, here. Nothing here. No, no, this was out in Colorado. Okay. And right. uh, Mo Rep uh, offered me a, a job, and at the time, and the money was pretty pretty. It was. I think it was along the lines of a hundred bucks a month, mm -hmm. and so Good. I was like, you know, I don't know yeah. how to make this work with my my job at Plaza Three. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, a friend of mine was um, he was trying to start a production company and had uh, uh, the production rights to a Candor and Ebb play uh, musical, and we were going to try to to do it in New York. Mm -hmm. So he owned a, a a company that sold theatrical events and uh, speech, uh, you know makers and things like that, you know, uh, to, to public schools. And so we were trying to, to generate enough money selling all these programs mm -hmm. to, so I, dro I drove around Kansas, Missouri, Colorado, uh, parts of Oklahoma and Texas and, and Arkansas and places like that, trying to sell these programs so we could try to bank enough money that we could try to get some jack together to, to do this show off, off Broadway in mm -hmm. New York. It was a complete bust, but it was, it was an interesting experience. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was worth a try, but yeah, that went bust, and, and so I was So really instead of the traveling carnival, you said, I'm going to go to one of these circuses known as a restaurant <laughs> yeah, and exactly. ply my trade there. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, 
get the suckers in there. Well, what happened was then I ended up at the Embassy Suites uh, uh, running their wine program. Again, sort of, you know, the thing had fizzled in, in New York. We weren't, weren't able to get it together. We were still on hold. We still had the rights, you know, to this, uh, to this play and, and uh, thought we could make something out of it. And then uh, a buddy of mine, well, one of my one of my vendors was like, "Hey, I'm getting booted upstairs. I'm the I'm I'm going to be the sales manager. You want to be the wine salesman?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure. This sounds <laughs> awesome." Mm-hmm. I mean, by that time, I was going to wine tastings three, four, or five days a week. You know, I'm constantly doing that whenever uh, whenever I'm off work. I'm having a great time. And, and uh, so he hired me to to be the new sales manager. And it was kind of a dream team. It was a really uh, wonderful group. Uh, the the guy who hired me was a guy named Mendel Kahn, who is a, a well-known salesman in the San Francisco area. His boss, the wine director, was a guy named Mike Corso, who has his own import company today. Uh, his son, Charlie's now running that, but he, he's done great work and uh, based in Chicago. And, and you know, it was, a, it was a cool little dream team. And they hired me, and it was like, this is the coolest job I've ever had. Wow. I, it suddenly, instead of driving around, you know, selling uh, funny little, you know, circus performers and puppeteers mm-hmm. and, and yeah. jugglers yeah. to elementary <laughs> schools, I'm selling really cool wine to Plaza 3. I'm uh-huh. selling really cool wine to, uh, to, to Starkers and places like that. And that lasted three months. We were the number two wholesaler in a group of like 16 wholesalers in Kansas City. We were owned by McKesson Corp, a billion dollar company. And, and we kept hearing rumors we were going to be sold. And I was like, there's no way. We work for McKesson. They're a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. No way. And we were, in fact, sold and all fired two, two and a half months after I got this dream job. Oh, my. And it was like, holy crap. So my friend Mendel and I, we went out and got roaringly drunk. And probably got in about six in the morning, and at eight in the morning, my phone rings, and I'm like, "Oh my God, who the hell is this?" And it's a it's a a, a well-known importer here, in, based who was based in Kansas City at the time, named David Thompson. He's like, "Dr. Ross, David Thompson." I was like, "Yeah." He said, "I heard what happened. You have a job with me today." And I was like, "What?" You know, it's like suddenly I had a job again, and and. And that was, I, I spent 15 years selling wine, selling wine to you, mm-hmm. you know, wow. having a good time. Oh, you were great, too. I We had fun. I got some stories. Um, <laughs> Doug's a provocateur. I'd say that... I'm, I when, wasn't when, alone in when that. You, are, you, yeah. were, you were chief provocateur. <laughs> well, when you're slightly bored, you go to hijinks. Yes, you do. And we were just talking about a wine list that you put together for... Uh, Harry's Barn table, and of course I used you whenever I could to, to use your expertise to to help build the wine list, select the wines, and and you didn't like to write descriptions on yeah, menus. wine descriptions always, always kind of you know they kind of piss me off. You mean it's the like, ones where you know notes of apricot and uh, yeah mm-hmm. yeah all that stuff dredged through a grape field. Yeah, and, you know, it's, just, yeah. it's just it's just too. So precious. what did you guys do? Well, you know, I did some of those, but the fun ones, the one that was definitely my favorite, I still tell people about it, because you let me get away with it, which was, we couldn't sell a bottle of Gwinnock Petit Syrah to save our souls, but, you know, it was like on the list, so my descriptor was bulging with manhood, you know, and we just <laughs> started right. selling the crap out of that really? stuff, because everybody wants to be bulging oh, yeah. with manhood, you know? <laughs> I love that. I love the champagne. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Tattinger, Tattinger. Uh, Comte de Champagne, that one was uh, proved that you have no respect for money. And, <laughs> and it did work. And again. there was something about referring to like that 
like that woman who just walked by the window. I can't remember oh, what that was. Yeah, there was, was something that was probably slightly full of body or yeah, there that was, was not. There you was, can't do that. Okay, can't do that. all right. Yeah, you can't do that one today. Well, I'm sure the, the man or the gentleman or lady walking by the window. You, you know, I, I now that I think about it, I also think, or maybe we didn't do it, but I thought about it, and years and years later. Uh, with the Kansas City Star, uh, when I was writing reviews for the Star, they started saying, you know, why don't you write like a little snippet on a single wine? And it was Valentine's Day, so um, I wrote up that uh, that uh, uh, Blue Stout East India Cream Solera Sherry, which I, I think I wanted to put on the list, but we decided not to because the descriptor was going to be the one that I put in the Star, which was, it's Valentine's Day. Um, this is a, a, an incredibly sweet wine that uh, the Spanish love to pour over ice cream. It's Valentine's Day, though. What else can you pour it over? Oh. And, and, you know, and I thought, there's no way Jill Silva, my editor, is going to, you know, she's going to be like, that's because she always cut that kind of stuff yeah. off. It ran. No, did it, it was really? like, right on. Uh, she probably didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Jill got it. She just, I think uh. that was a, Jill was having a, one of those weeks where she was like, to hell with them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, you've been a writer on a lot of subjects, wine usually the center of it, but talk, talk a little bit about how that happened and books, magazines, national magazines, probably international magazines. Talk, give us a little bit of a well, insight it, it, on that. Well, that was always, uh, writing was always, uh, frankly, was the point of the thing. When I got involved in the Master Sommelier and Master of Wine programs, it was because I wanted to write, and I was a wine guy in Kansas City, which was, for most everybody in the world, an oxymoron. <laughs> so it was like the only way I got any damned respect. And, and uh, I still remember uh, the, the head of the Italian Trade Commission meeting me and saying, you know, you, you have, you have uh, both Master Smogliabie and Master of Wine. She was from the Philippines, so that's why the accent is confusing you. Um, and I said, well yeah, done, and she though. said, why haven't I heard of you? And I'm like, yeah, I live in Kansas City. Get over it. It's like, you know, and, 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 and still to this day, people will do this thing of, oh, I love what you said about Kansas City. It was so interesting. Where do you live now? Uh-huh. Like, Kansas City. You know, it's like, hello. Um, but I like it here. And, and, and I thought, too, I, I've always wanted to stay here because I thought writing, nobody's going to get rich writing or at least <laughs> very few will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need to live in a cheap, cheap city. You know, and, and it is, it's a cheap city to live in. It works out okay. So um, so yeah, writing was always the point of the thing and uh, I didn't always get to do it. Right now, I'm not quote unquote writing for anybody, although I'm, I'm finishing up uh, my entries to the Oxford Companion to Spirits and Cocktails. Okay. Um, I have written in the past for the Oxford Companion to Wine and, and so uh, the, the editor for the Spirits and Cocktail uh, tome is a good friend and so he assigned me like 75 mm-hmm. entries or something like that. Well, give us the title of your books that have been published. Well, the very first one was, was called Uncorking Wine, and that was uh, very much a, a uh, just sort of a primer. It was intended to be a restaurant primer or a primer for somebody who just wants to know enough to be dangerous. And then uh, the second book was a, a bigger book. It was a kind of a big, bigger picture book, coffee table kind of book on wine called On Wine, A Master Sommelier and Master of Wine Tells All. Uh, which I don't tell all. There's so much left to say. No way. Let me fill in here. The Washington Post calls it fabulous, witty, engaging, and wise. Conveys more accumulated wine wisdom than most books ten times as thick. 
I guess he was going to say that thing. about his own book, but it's good that you flew that's, in. It's there. good to have, it's good to have third party endorsement. Yes, uh -huh. yeah. third party that's endorsement. That's what it said. Yeah. yeah, no. So that that so, so you're uh, not a bad writer, apparently. Well, you know, my favorite part, my favorite story to tell about that book, uh, the twofold. One is that it came out around uh, September 10th. 2001. So oh, yeah. had the book been titled The Wines of Afghanistan, it oh. probably would have been a big success. <laughs> but uh, So the timing wasn't good. <laughs> huh. And the publisher, because we'd lavished so much uh, love and attention on the book itself, on the, the cover of the book, uh, the publisher felt it necessary to wrap all books, uh, to shrink wrap all the books. Mm. Now, I don't know about you, but if I buy a book, I like to crack it open and look at it for a second and decide, yeah. or maybe I'll look at the index. Sure. Not this book. So, mm -hmm. so this book didn't do that well. <laughs> Hermetically sealed. <laughs> Hermetically sealed for your safety. <laughs> wow, you could kind of like shop for that book underwater. Yes, you could have <laughs> I mean, shopped If you were in underwater. an underwater bookstore. That's really where true. opening a book would be a problem. That's wow. true. And so then the, the, then the most recent book uh, had, it, uh, eventually turned into just a, a big website. And I found myself writing for websites and writing for magazines and things like that. The most recent book was uh, uh, basically a, a Spanish wine guide uh, mm -hmm. that does. Did you go with thing. like the ebook thing on that or is it just website It's content? now just website. It, there were two editions. The, the first I think came out in, in uh, 07, 07, 09, something mm -hmm. like that. There were two editions and subsequent editions were just online and that was that was fine with me. I mean it's nice to get paid to write and it's nice to get paid to, to, to put your opinion out there and and Spanish wine has been a, a certainly has been a, an obsession of mine over the years, but I have a lot of obsessions. Yeah. So, <laughs> I see that you wrote for Missouri Life also. Yes. Uh, have you ever found a Missouri wine that shouldn't be poured over ice cream? It um, seems awful sweet to oh, me. Oh, listen, yeah, there's a lot of good dry wine here. There is really there? Okay. is. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, it was Everything's really fun. changed since you last tried that Catawba Pink. That's true. All right. That's okay, true. sure. Yeah. Although Pink Catawba is, maybe surprisingly to most people, a really good cocktail ingredient. It's a really fun wine to throw on top of a cocktail. It, okay. It'll do some interesting wow. things. But I, but I, I digress. The, the, um, it was really fun. I'm making uh, notes. Go yeah, ahead. exactly. <laughs> a month ago, um, I, I hosted... Uh, a group uh, of 50 masters of wine from Europe. Mm -hmm. And I decided that what they were gonna do is they were gonna drink a crap load of wines not from California because they'd been uh, touring California. It's, it's like over my dead body, you can have any California wine at this mm -hmm. tasting. One of the wines that I took was uh, Holyfield's virtually dry Vignol from Kansas. And I would say that of all the wines I brought, and I brought about 50 bottles of wine with me, that wine was the wine that virtually every MW said, this is absolutely effing amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's a delicious wine. Okay. But I, I took uh, I took a 20-year-old Norton out there from Stonehill, and people were uh, just falling out of their shoes on that one. Mm -hmm. I brought some Chamberson from Illinois, but we've got great Chamberson here, too. Uh, I, I, you know, I, did you I publish an article about this? I did not. I okay. did not do so because I, I was too busy hosting to really get the, the quotes right. It was just one of those, uh, as I say, I was, the, I was the host and I had 50 people I had to make yeah, sure were, yeah, were happily sure. drunk. So that they could all pour. I imagine they'd be a difficult <laughs> group if they weren't drunk. That is the damnedest truth. I have found them to be a very difficult group. Uh, European MWs, man, especially the Brits. Good God, of mercy! What a bunch of horses! I mean, difficult great people. people. Yes, really? Great, okay. Great yes. people on both sides. Uh, so yeah, no, I mean, they're, it, it went great. It was a, a great experience. But uh, last year, I hosted them. 
uh, for a tour of Oregon, and I did want to shoot a couple of them uh, during mm. that one. There, mm. were, there were some great people, but yeah, you know, I mean, you get any group of people, 40 or 50 people together, and as a friend of mine uh, uh, likes to say, there's always at least one turd in the punch bowl, mm. you know, yeah. bobbing around, waiting to well, say Well, it's gotta be hard, thing. because when you're, especially when you're in a profession, and especially when you've been in it a long time, to be in a room of 40 or 50 other people in the same profession, I don't care what it is. <laughs> it's really hard. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I remember you know, when I was in the advertising business, it's like, it was fun after everybody was drunk. Right, but until then. But until then, it was rough. Say, yeah. I want to uh, do, do a, a quick test on the two of you, because you know, Loy and both of you have worked with restaurants and developing them things yeah. and, and putting them together. I'm going to throw out a fictitious restaurant that I want to start, and Loy, you tell me what I need to do, and you tell me what wines I need to serve. <laughs> right, oh, okay, man. this sounds like fun. I have an idea for uh, up on the square in Richmond, Missouri, to put a gourmet hot dog restaurant. Uh, Loy, what would be your input on uh, what to do about that? Well, I don't know what ri what the Richmond market is like, mm -hmm. but I'd say. A gourmet hot dog restaurant would probably be uh, the kind of a thing where you would you would definitely have to have fancy names for the hot dogs. For the hot dogs. Okay, gotcha. All because right. Because otherwise, people are just going to think, "Well, I can open a package of hot dogs <laughs> and put them in the microwave for thirty seconds." Okay, good. All right, that's a good idea. So okay. you're going to have to you're going to have to gild the you're going to have to put some. Okay. Uh, lipstick on them. That's a pigs. good point. Now, yeah. oh, oh, most of them being pigs, but so mm. what would have beef? Some, yeah. some beef, maybe even a little chicken sausage, and you know. What would you dog. serve wine-wise with uh, a gourmet hot dog restaurant? You know, th truthfully, this is this is an easy one. For oh, me. really? Just, okay. Yeah, just yeah. because um, you know, hot dogs are, are are street food. Hot dogs are mm -hmm. are, are mm -hmm. you know kind of. Uh, low cuisine, if you will, okay. and the thing that's always fun with wine is to, is to mix and match. So you'd have to do a high, you know, high cuisine kind of wine with that. In other words, it's champagne all day long. That, oh, okay. that yeah, yeah. If you yeah. if you have hot dogs, yeah. really? people are throwing sausages at you. It, it's kind of like okay, this is just regular old you know food. But then you go and we're just serving champagne with that. People fall out of, out of their shoes <laughs> going, I gotta do this. This is the provocateur. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you got to. You All know, right, we, well, yeah, absolutely. You, you got it. I call it surfing the zag. Yeah, that <laughs> might be the name the of the store. <laughs> yeah, if you're selling hot dogs, you better be selling champagne with them. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. That's Excellent smart. Job, Doug guys. Frost, you yeah. better uh, never. I'll I, tell I you. see why you both are uh, achievers in your, your area of expertise. So that, that's good ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Tell, t tell me about this Jefferson Wine thing that we've done. And, uh, sure, yeah. And, uh, worked with you on uh, Angel Flight Central for many years and things yeah. like that. But what about the competition? Well, obviously, Dick, I really appreciate that you have been uh, such an ardent supporter and such a big uh, part of Angel Flight Central's uh, wine flight, which is the, the Friday night big fundraiser, which is, as, as uh, Don Semple, the director there, reminded me this morning, the single largest source of funds that Angel Flight, this charity, mm -hmm. gets is is that particular night. That, and these that people fly work. people who need transportation to hospitals all over the place. So. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's uh, you know on Friday night when we did the um, when we did the big wine flight, there were what six hundred people there. Or yeah, something I like think that. so about that. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and as many wine bottles it seemed. I try, I try to, <laughs> I try to do my best on that one, and and it's pretty hard to have a, a dry, you know. 
you don't see a dry eye in the house when they explain what's mm -hmm. going on, how sure. you know, yeah. somebody comes up and explains how their life was saved or their son's life was saved. In this case, it was a husband and wife and their little baby daughter who mm -hmm. you know, has, has had terrible uh, health crises and, and... Probably she was born and her body would not automatically breathe. Yeah. 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 I heard of that. Yeah. And and she's up on stage with them doing the, you know, mm -hmm. I want daddy, I want mommy. I want daddy. Yeah, <laughs> it was, you yeah, know, exactly. it was really awesome. Mm -hmm. And and uh, well so um, uh, the Jefferson Cup is the is sort of the entity that enables wine flight to happen. Um, it's something that I started to, uh, about 20 years ago in Virginia and it was because um, I had done some tasting with the Virginia Wineries Association and there was frankly there was some infighting going on with two groups there and they said look you know we want you to start a competitive Virginia winery uh, uh, competition. I was mm -hmm. like that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> what you want is you want to know how Virginia wines coexist, comp compete, uh, compare to the, the rest of the wines in America. Let me put that together for you. And so I did it at a, at a really wonderful uh, resort out there called the Homestead. And it was beautiful. My kids loved it and you know because they'd go out there and, and uh, so I put this you know American only, but uh, a sort of a, a comparison of Virginia wines to everybody else's. And, and that relied on the notion that I was going to limit the number of wines that came from California because that's what happens in all these competitions. Uh, typically, a, a typical competition is 2,000 wines. 1700 of them are from California. Mm -hmm. Guess who wins? Yeah. And 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 not to say anything against California, but so I created the competition and said it's an invitation only. California doesn't get to send in thousands and thousands of wines. They get to send in the 3 or 400 I pick. Um, and and it's, it's a little bit less than that frankly because the total competition is about 800 wines or mm -hmm. so. And I make sure that California is less than half of the wines there and usually it's closer to a third. They end up with about a third of the medals, so it's all appropriate. But but I handpick uh, wines from Missouri and Colorado and New Mexico and Arizona and New York and Michigan and Virginia and 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 uh, other places as well, Wisconsin and Minnesota and Iowa and, and Nebraska and such, and and uh, then put them all blind for a group of judges that I fly in from around the country, and and uh, so we just finished that Friday, yeah. and then we take all the leftover bottles. And we bring them into wine flight, which is how you end up with sure. so many damn yes. bottles of wine there. That's right. Because yes. it is actually about 800 bottles yeah. of wine well, that we have for the 600 attendees. What a cool story. So you, so these are all blind tastings. Mm -hmm. and, and the proof of that is that wonderful wines happen all over the place. Yeah, they do. It's, it's, uh, and the, the, the storyline, the, the bullying of California because of their great marketing dollars and and the mystique that's been built up around it is that only only California can make good wine <laughs> exactly. everything else is just junk yeah mm -hmm. yeah and and Missourians buy into it and you know I still remember the one one of the uh, previous governors of Kansas making apologies and comments about how bad Kansas wine was have you know having said that I will I will defend Kathleen Sebelius to uh, in so much as 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, um, I was on KCUR and was talking about uh, local wines and somebody calls up and says, you know, you just keep saying really good things about Missouri wines. What do you think of Kansas wines? I said, well, I have to be honest with you. I haven't yet had any Kansas wines that I think are, are worth me recommending. I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying, you know, I'm trying to pick wines that I think uh, a large group of people are going to gonna try and they're mm -hmm. going to like. And the woman said, well, uh, would you like to try some Kansas wines? 
uh, I make some Kansas wines. Would you like to try them? And of course, my response was, aha, my evil plan worked. Yes, I'll take your free wine. <laughs> and, uh, and, but so subsequently, I got together with this uh, father-daughter team. And I tasted through the wines, and the whites were good from the get-go. The reds needed some work, and I mentioned that to them. And I, honestly, 25 years later, the wine I mentioned, the Vignol, that I poured for the Masters of Wine yeah. in San Francisco, that was her. That was her wine. Holyfield is their winery. And at the last Jefferson Cup, she, we, we gave out 24 Jefferson Cups, which are the mm -hmm. top trophies. Yeah. She won three of them. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, she's Holy good. Well, we've got to get the word out about this wine on the, the podcast and on the YouTube version. I'll put something on there. Yeah. Because that's fascinating. I, I really had no idea that there was a wine with that kind of umph going on yeah, where yeah. all those snobs from Europe would come over and say, that kicks ass. Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt bad that I didn't have more Missouri and Kansas there. I mean, one of the Jefferson Cups was won by Blue Jacket Crossing, which is a, a little winery in Kansas. There's Seville Blanc. That's the second time they've won with the damn thing. And, and that's weird. I mean, you don't usually get to get that many victories. And Somerset Ridge does a good job. And, you know, it, it's no, what, good what you, You've got something going on locally or well, not in the region I mean well actually my I, I am growing some uh, grapes and, and making some wine in Walla Walla Washington so I'm up there wow. I'm, I'm way up there you know because I wanted it close by I don't know <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking my wife you just like saying, to say it yeah you? I do Walla Walla yeah Walla Walla it just it's fun Let's go a whole different direction here for a moment again and talk to me about box wines. Is sure. there anything out there? What, what's the story on box wines? Who's doing the best stuff? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, box wine is, in America, we typically look at that as, as really pedestrian wine. And there's mm -hmm. no question that a lot of those three liter and five liter boxes out there are just filled with whatever wine. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's not to say that they're not good. Um, but I, in general, I think you have to spend a little more money than, than, the, um, than, than you find when you see the big old five liter stacked mm -hmm, out sure. there. Um, when you start talking about some of the other brands um, like Big House or Black Box, and, uh, there's good quality wine in those boxes mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I think they're a, they're a really clever way to, to uh, sell wine. You lower some of your costs because you don't have glassware involved. And, and it certainly is an easily uh, resealable, if you will, package for people who just want to have a glass a day or yeah, a glass sure. and a half or mm -hmm. what have you. Um, and, and so, yeah, I definitely recommend those. It, it's one of those things where uh, when you go to Australia, you, you often will see a lot of box wine there. And, and a lot of the box wine there, you can buy box wines there that cost 40 or 50 bucks because mm -hmm. it's really good wine yeah, sure. in yeah. there. It just hasn't really hit here yet uh, in that same Bring uh, a box of that to my table. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah I, it's, I have a marketing idea here, and I did this one oh, year. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> during the Christmas holiday season, I bought a box of red and a box of white. And I wrapped the red in red Christmas paper, mm -hmm. and I wrapped the white in white Christmas paper, mm -hmm. and had them set up in the kitchen. So, well, why don't these wine companies put a holiday box out for their uh, wine? Uh, it's a good point. Mm. Uh, they're trying to. You know, a lot of them do holiday packaging, but usually with like a fancy glass yeah. or things like that. Okay. But yeah, no, I, I, I have no idea why they don't, yeah. why they don't follow that. Here, another idea of Wilson's <laughs> to steal. <laughs> you heard it here first. But what does this guy know? How does he talk about wine? Let's say you go to a tasting and you bump into some geek like me. And 
I'm sorry, right off the bat. And I'll be working the wine over going, I, I get an elderberry character, but it's a dried elderberry. Indeed, it's been lightly dipped in a pancake batter or something. And it's a, it's a younger, no, no, it's an older elderberry, a younger elderberry, <laughs> completely different than this. And I find the wine to be angular, yet round. The minute you run into that, it, it run, leave, go to the other side of the room because I've forgotten what's the important part about wine. What's important? Do you like it? That's all that really matters. If you like it, cool, keep drinking. If you don't like it, stop. First point, if you don't like it, stop drinking. But if I like it and you don't like it, that's okay too. We're not supposed to agree on all this stuff, quite frankly. It is absolutely personal and it ought to remain personal. When we use words to describe wine, however, we ought to try not to use words that don't really have an agreed upon meaning. It often, as Geeks will say it's oaky or tannic or acidic, and nobody's really sure what that means. But if I say, instead of oaky, it's spicy, it smells like clove and allspice and nutmeg, that means it's been in an oak barrel. If I say it's tannic, well, that doesn't mean much, but if I say it's a bit bitter, a bit astringent, a bit dusty, everybody knows what that means. So I think instead of using weird words, we ought to just use food words. If I say it tastes like melons, you know what a melon tastes like. If I say it smells like lemons and limes, you know what that smells like. And we can all agree upon it, even if really what I was saying is that wine's a bit tart and acidic. Lemon-lime means a lot more to the everyday person. Doug Frost, we haven't even begun. The multimedia, Doug Frost. We well, talked you know, about KCUR, there was also television. That's right, yes. I wanted to bring that up because yeah. I, I told somebody the other day, hey, I'm going to had the opportunity to chat with Doug Frost. He says, oh, I loved his show on uh, Channel 19. Hello, I'm Doug Frost, and welcome to Check, Please, Kansas City, the show where regular folks from all over Kansas City dine and dish on their favorite restaurants. That went on for about five years. Did it? But okay. that died about five years ago, Did it? Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, the, the funding dried up, and, and uh, it's a shame, really, because I think it had a useful purpose in, mm -hmm. in, in the region. And, and I, I keep saying to KCPT, you know, we could do that again if you want to. Well, we yeah, always used a lot of the, uh, the suggestions to try places out. Yeah, yeah. you but made five seasons, so don't worry. You're going to make a lot of money because when it goes into reruns, Absolutely, it'll be great. none of that will be in my pocket. And it still runs on KCPT, but KCPT let me do this uh, these little uh, uh, snippets, these little five and seven minute uh, segments called Ferment Nation. And those were just, you know, my, definitely me going a little mm -hmm. crazy. I mean, okay. in one of them I dressed up in a grape costume and we talked about how I would be crushed and, 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 <laughs> and but we won two Emmys. We won two regional Emmys. Oh, uh, cool. with those, wow. Those. Here's a sample of the show called Philip Marlowe and the case of the missing Bordeaux. It was a dame. It always starts with a dame. And of course she was a red. All the dames in these stories are redheads. And like all the others before her, she wasn't what she seemed. Her label said a Margot and she was friendly, maybe a little too friendly. Like she was trying to pull the wool over my eyes and I don't even wear sweaters. And that was fun. KCPT let me have so much fun with that. There was some really great guys who did uh, the scene work for it. Mm -hmm. built, we built props for it. We did some crazy editing. We had one edit that I, I will feel forever sorry for, for what Dave had to go through because First, we shot me as a snooty. Uh, my my name was Percy uh, Dub Tongue, and mm -hmm. I you know had an ascot and I was and it would speak of wine, mm -hmm. how it's made, and I would you know do this whole. Uh, it was a completely bizarre character based on uh, Ernie Kovacs. Uh, Percy Dovetail. Thank you very much. Okay. And uh, so uh, it was fun, but so we shot that. And then we did kind of a, a takeoff on uh, Science Theater 3000. Mm -hmm. um, so then it was me and another guy sitting in, 
in uh, you know seats watching this. But first, it's me doing the little bit, and then the the camera theoretically pans back, and you see the two of us watching it, mocking it. And then you know this character saying it, and then then I would do interviews with like Barry Tunnell and and Jim Coley, some some wine guys around town, and then we would mock them. And then I was the last guy who would come back to Percy again, and and I'm speaking, and we mock me, and then I start speaking to them. <laughs> and and poor Dave had to edit this thing because somehow in my okay, so my fevered brain, I thought this was there. hilarious. <laughs> but that's the one that won the the Emmy. Oh, so he are. wins the Good Sport Award. He wins the yeah. Emmy. Is and what, what he does, and what's his know. name? Dave Burkhardt. Dave Burkhardt. And he put up with that stuff. I mean, the editing was just a nightmare. And pretty much like the editing you guys are going to have to do with this particular (laughs) conversation. What are you talking about? (laughs) So not edited. Anyway, when we do edit it, Music. You're you're a music guy. I remember that. Sure. You like really weird music. When you say weird music, what what se- selections out of your weird music are we talking about? Frank Zappa. Oh yeah, Zappa okay. is definitely uh, you know Zappa is still a touchstone. Yeah. Um, even more so, I would say Captain Beefheart. Uh, oh I think okay. Beefheart. Was Trout Mask Replica. Oh Trout Mask. Trout Mask Replica is still in that top. I had the eight track. Oh, I love you so much more right now than I did two seconds ago. Dan Hicks and his hot legs. Oh, Dan Hicks. Oh, yeah. No, it's pretty great. I mean, I just have I I you know looking at we. I mean, that was seventies stuff. Nobody else was listening to that stuff. Yeah, Doug Frost, twenty other people, but I had the eight tracks too. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 true. No, I mean, I look at my stuff, you know, I've got Antonin Artaud, the, the great uh, French theatrical director, speeches next to Anthony and the Johnsons and Arcade Fire and Archers of Love and Architecture in Helsinki and Arctic Monkeys and Ariel Pink. Ariel Pink is really good. People don't know. And next to Arnold Schoenberg and, and Art Tatum. Uh, well, Art Brute's in there, too. And especially Art and Language and the Red Crayola. Red Crayola is really good stuff. But you just lost North Kansas City and Raytown. I pretty much <laughs> did. Summit's I lost them before this. <laughs> uh, now, there's, there's good stuff all over this, this crazy city. That's right. <laughs> hey, Dick, I'm a little thirsty. Uh, let's, let's go down to the lounge and get something to drink. You know, it sounds like a good idea. Let's talk about wine's got me a little thirsty, too. Yeah, I think Frank's back. I... Thought I heard Frank rehearsing down there. You know he's still hanging around, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's still singing songs about the new airport or something. Oh, it's you guys. Yeah, back again. All right, boys, let's do that airport song. Come fly with me. Come fly. Let's fly away. If you. Some exotic booze, there's a bar at MCI. Come on, fly with me, we'll give old Casey a try. Come fly with me, but better bring some heavy dough. Cause at MCI, fees are really high, but it's brand new, don't you know? Come on, fly with me like we got no place else to go. Once we hit that airport, we'll remember how it used to be. Easy in and out. Now it's like the DMV. Once we get that airport, I'll be holding you so near. You might even hear. 
All the bagmen cheer cause they got all that money. Weather-wise, it's such a cuckoo day. Just say the words and we'll beat those birds to a line. At last song day, it's perfect for the TSA to grow. They say, come on, fly with me. Back up, let's fly away. And don't tell your mama. Okay, Doug, so, you know, going back in the history of this, you were P3 and all that, and, and uh, you knew Cliff Bath and all these other great Hell people. Yeah. And, yeah. and Wilcox was telling us that all those guys came from the uh, Golden Ox. Did you know uh, that? I, I, I didn't know all of them uh, came from there, but yeah, it was, uh, I mean, this town is, it was a really interesting restaurant town. I think Gilbert Robinson was really the reason it was back in the, Early Gilbert Robinson. That's days. right. I mean, and you Robinson knew Paul and Robinson Gilbert. pretty oh, yeah. well. Those guys were. Now, was that fun? I mean, I went yeah. to his house. Randy, his son, went to school with me. Oh, cool. I, I think I was at Randy. We played baseball together. I was at his fourth grade, his birthday party. And walking through that house, Paul Robinson was That's an eclectic guy. Yeah. He was, he was what you know we would hope to be. Uh, you know, when we were kids, we're looking at that going. Well, this guy's into everything. Yeah. I want to be that guy. Yeah, no kidding. And and he was so edgy and artistic. And, and, and when, when he brought together that Gilbert Robinson thing, I, I think it really caught fire with, with Paul. I mean, Joe and Bill Gilbert were great guys. Great really smart. Absolutely. But then you put PR in there yeah. with, with everything that he could bring to it artistically and, and design-wise and pushing the, the wine thing. Wine was always a big part of what they did. And... Uh, even going back 30, 35 years ago, I would tell people, uh, at, at, when people would say, Kansas City, what's that all about? I'm like, look, if I took the top 25 restaurants in Kansas City, the average number of wines by the glass, average number of wines by the glass in those top 25 uh, restaurants in Kansas City is 24, two dozen. Wow. To this day, I remember when, when um, certainly when, when uh, Lydia Bastianic and, and Joe Bastianic came into town and they wanted to open with five wines by the glass. I was like, you can't do this. We will laugh you out of town. The, the, we're used to more choice than this. This, this is a serious wine town. And they just, yeah, they were like, well, that's crazy. If you sell wine by the glass, you're not going to sell it by the bottle. I'm like, or you could sell three different wines by the glass. What is wrong with you? And they did eventually mm -hmm. uh, in, expand to 13 and 15, and, and they caught on. I it's, think they learned a lot when they came to Kansas City, I, to I tell you the truth. I think they probably did, yeah. In a but, lot of ways. But it, it's funny. That, that dates back to, you remember um, the, the, the GM there who was saying such great things about Kansas City. And I, I, I will misquote you. But it's a quote I've mentioned a million times to people that um, this guy was talking about how great Kansas City is, how great it's going to be when when power and light. Uh, those mm. if those people will come here, of course, should come here. And and he's going on and on about how great it is. And 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 you said do fix the quote because it's probably changed over the many decades. I've been saying my friend Loy Edge said. You may think that Kansas City is a city of 1.5 million people, which it was at the time. Gen looking for a genuine urban experience. But what it is, is 300,000 people who are living in a city and living an urban lifestyle surrounded by 1.2 million people who would just as soon live in a suburb of Tulsa. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And I was like, 
and that is my city. And yeah, that's, and that's every city. I mean, at the end of the day, it every is. city is that. It's, it's, uh, I, I, for years, I tried to understand what you had said and, and compare it to places like Des Moines, which for a long time didn't take off. Kansas City was taken off. There was a good restaurant scene here, but Des Moines didn't, and it didn't have that core. Yeah. You've got to have a certain number of people who, you know, mm -hmm. damn the torpedoes, we're going out for dinner tonight. We're going to that play. We're going to that ballet. We're going to go hear that music. We're, we're going to live in a city instead of holing up someplace and, and trying to stock our houses with more and more nonsense. Bingo. I mean, people are connected, are a limited group here. And, and what's funny is, I remember that they brought in people from all over the world for this thing called a charrette. And that's, that's where they brought these developers in from Germany and everywhere. And this was when uh, the great Durwood was still alive during the early formation of the Power and Light concept. I see. And there was a, a really good guy, a good friend of mine, Nick Bashkaroff. He was running that, kind of spearheading that thing mm -hmm. for the Power and Light District. Yeah. This, these kind of deals always kind of piss me off because <laughs> I think they're taking the tax money from the people who've invested oh. everything they have in their lives right. to try to put a bar or a restaurant together. Yeah. And they're dedicating everything, and the city is taking tax revenue from them. Yep. And the cities that they they have a love hate relationship. The city mm -hmm. loves them for the tax revenue and hates them for everything else. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're a legal recreational drug dealer really right. bothers. Yeah, them. Yeah, pisses them off for some reason. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and they're going to sit at the bar and complain about that's it while right. they have their third <laughs> that's whiskey. Right. So. And and so when they start. You know, pitching ideas like the power and light that don't happen because the market demands it, and then they and I. This is where I would complain about going. Hey, the garage door people that live in the burbs are not going to like trek down here to Midtown and pass through all these other places to go to your power and light district thing. It's yeah. going to cost the city money. Well, I think it still is. I'm not sure. Yeah. 10, 11 million a year, but what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing. Uh, uh, development is, retail development of any sort is, is such a uh, such a mixed blessing at best. You know, you got to have it. Mm -hmm. And any more uh, corporations can be big enough and powerful enough to say, you know, look at the Amazon situation. I mean, it, it, it's my favorite political cartoon about Amazon was something somebody did the other day, which was hilarious. It shows a guy holding a package and, and he's got the Amazon hat on. He says, hi, I'm from Amazon. I have a package for you. Give me $2 billion or I'll give it to your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just like, what's, I mean, why do they need our money? Oh. They already have our money. And that reminds me, because I have kids that live up in Astoria, New York. and uh, There you go. And, you know, the, one of the Amazon places is going to go there in yeah. Long Island City or yeah. something. And, right and, around the corner. And my wife says, wait a minute, the 7th Street subway never runs with the people that are there now. What are they going to do when they add 50,000 people? I don't know. And that, that's yeah. the thing. How much money is it going to cost to create enough infrastructure for that? And, and Amazon clearly has said, well, we're more concerned about having people that, that have uh, sufficient uh, intelligence and, and training yeah. to yeah. do this technical work. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those, the, Amazon needs Long Island City and, and you know, the D.C. suburb just as much as that the suburb thinks they need them. So I'm not sure why one side is giving the farm away. Exactly, yeah. yeah so right. in the wine biz, what 
kind of dynamics are going on that concern you right now? The, the, the really ugly statistic is, and, and it's a rough statistic, but roughly speaking, 93% of all the wine purchased and consumed in the United States is made or imported by 13 companies. That's it. Wow. Even though there's 100,000 brands. Are We're they all owned by the Rothschilds and Rockefellers? Uh, well, no, not really. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, eventually, it's, are, no, they're are mostly they owned Luciferian? by. They're mostly owned by big insurance companies. Oh, they're mostly owned by but those big companies are owned by the Rothschilds and Rockefellers. Uh, I don't know. I oh, don't know well, if they anyway. are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, but but Make a so, note here. Okay, yeah, check it's, out it's, rabbit hole. Wine is okay. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's a it's a scary thing because so um, what percentage? Ninety three percent. Really? So wow. so, folks, you gotta drink your your local wine. Drink local. Drink you the little eat guys. Eat at your local restaurant. Eat local. That, that would hang out with the little guys. You know, yeah. they're trying to do they're trying to do something that has some meaning to it. That doesn't mean that that the big stuff sucks. You know, Robert Mondavi wine doesn't suck. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do with that. It's just that it's owned by a massive corporation that probably doesn't need your money as badly as the person around the corner. So when you're working with local, you work with a lot of local restaurants, always have, as, as a yeah, often consultant, often have, yeah, as yeah, you know. writing wine lists, and just they want to have you around just because you're cool and don't cause too <laughs> many fights, <laughs> too much trouble. <laughs> Some of the great ones in Kansas City that really did wine right, that you remember fondly, that well, are Starkers. no longer here. Starkers, you know, Starkers first, Starkers second, Starkers third. Um, they Star drove it. They really fought. They, they, they were, absolutely They did. took all the arrows. Didn't yeah, they? yeah. Cliff Bath um, was a great restaurateur. He was he was actually epitomized to me, uh, you know, the great restaurateur. And his nephew Bob was uh, was one of my first customers when I became a wholesaler and Bob was a little resistant he was he was uh, you know he knew a lot about wine and he wasn't sure how much I, uh, I, I, I I'm good yeah so um, but yeah we can do uh, we can do another uh, I'm good because I you we're know. getting more wine okay um, well we can switch to something else too, okay you know because that's always interesting too we're gonna um, live listen to Doug Frost look at the uh, Wine there list at the restaurant at 1900 and pick one. All right, good. What would your second day drinking wine be? Let's have some Ayers Pinot Noir perspective. You Ayers know, from my buddy Pinot Brad. Noir perspective would <laughs> be my what buddy Doug Brad. Frost would pick. Yeah, my buddy Brad. That's his winery. Yeah. So anyway, Bob was my first customer. Uh, it, Frankly, Bob Bath and Ron Paradise were my two real top customers when I became a wholesaler. Oh, I and remember both them, Ron Paradise. Yeah, you remember Ron Paradise. Sure. And, and, and both those guys pretty much said the same thing to my boss, Mendelkahn, which is, what is this little jackass doing in here? This, what does this guy know anything about wine at all? And, and it worked out okay, but initially they were assholes to me. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those, it's kind of the bad side of the wine business is that we all get full of our little, own little information. <laughs> I'm sure I was a little jackass. I don't doubt that at all. Doug, but, but. you never were a little jackass. Okay, I was probably a big jackass. Oh, come on, <laughs> cut that out. I wasn't going there, no. Yeah, yeah exactly No, you that. never were, actually, and that's why you are beloved. Oh, well, it was, I, I, Bob and I in particular, partnered up uh, to turn uh, Starkers into a grand award winning wine list and we were super proud of that and that was really cool in, in fact you know Cliff and Bob and Cliff's daughter uh, Heather and I don't know, remember who else showed up but we all went to the Wine Spectator Awards ceremony to get the grand award because we were one of 
uh, or they, I should say, were one of, of 12 restaurants getting the award. And the entertainment that night was James Brown, Godfather. And it was so much fun. Oh Whoa. my God! Wow. We had so wow. Yeah, exactly. We had so much damn fun. Good God, y'all. Exactly. Good God, y'all. <laughs> and and yeah. So it was so much fun. And what was so funny about that dinner? Because um, we're all it's it's like three hundred people, maybe four hundred people. I don't know. Whatever it was, all sitting down to dinner. And and weirdly, they had all the dinner tables. I mean, I guess not weirdly because they wanted a dance floor. But we were like a hundred feet away from the bandstand. And I just thought that was the bizarrest thing I'd ever seen. I don't need dinner half as bad as I need to stand three feet in front of James Brown and watch the the you know the flag. That is weird. I, it was, and so everybody's just sitting there, and you know they're on like song three or song four or whatever it is, and uh, you moved uh, your Maceo, table. Up. Well, well, no, you, the, the tables were big, you know big tables. There were like twelve people at each table, and oh. and, and so uh, Heather and I, in particular, got up and just stood right in front of James, you know, having the best time we could possibly have. But about the fourth song or so, um, it might have been Maceo Parker or somebody yeah. is like, you know, Hot uh, pants. They, yeah, exactly. <laughs> does 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 one of those get up, you know, and and, and then James Brown is like get up, and you mm -hmm. know, and then the singers like get up, and then Maceo leans into the the microphone and says. The man said to get up. And they really got up out of their chairs, and then it was a big dance party. Yeah, that's it was, cool. Then it was awesome, but wow. it was just like all the, the happy little white folks sitting back there going, This is good entertainment. Oh my gosh. Yes. I think he moves fast. What's that cape all about? How does you know? he twirl like that? Isn't that funny? I mean, that's oh like, uh, that really is, that symbolizes like all the, like jazz. Mm -hmm. Jazz was the thing that connected people with drinking and debauchery and all. It was background music for real fun. For, for and then absolutely. it became an art thing where yep. everybody stood back and said, <laughs> just watch that jazz. That's, yeah, this is true. I mean, it became very intellectual mm -hmm. and, and uh, there's no question about that, yeah. Uh, well, and they were doing that to James Brown, which is weird. Which is just foolish. They were just, they were more focused on their stakes than they were upon Godfather. Yes, indeedy. Uh, but Godfather, you know, man, I was glad I got to see him. I got to shake his hand. You know, oh, did you really? Hand. Oh, yeah, wow, you know, wow. Because he did, he talked the, about that a lot. Oh, I'm right sure before, he did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was. He said, you know, he's a master of wine and a master sommelier. You know, here, here's actually what's really funny about uh. it. the guy who uh, who owns the Wine Spectator, uh, Marvin Schenken. He's mm -hmm. not particularly charming sort of guy but he's a right. big powerful guy mm -hmm. and James knew who was paying the bill because when he w starts walking across the stage shaking our hands you know giving the, the, the quick little limp shake mm -hmm. he got to Marvin Shankin's hand and he pulled him up on stage and oh, I was like James okay. knows who's paying knows, the bill he, he does so he brings up the the fat little freak you know wow. <laughs> and I'm standing I'm standing there going you know I deserve to be on stage too James but it's okay <laughs> whatever Marvin Shankin oh my god ow I'm shanking your yeah. hand <laughs> he was shaking his hand yeah yeah so here we have a little Ayers. This is from Brad and Kathleen McLeroy. And I'm proud to say that I took Brad to his first, on his first trip to Oregon. Really? And he, okay. and he fell in love with it so much that he and his wife eventually earned enough money selling Gomer's Midtown and then working in Oregon, in the Oregon wine industry to open their own winery. And no kidding. And it's quite successful. So the pedigree of this goes back to Gomer's Midtown. Does indeed. I'll Brad, be darned. Brad, uh, Brad's father and uncle were partners with Gomer, 
and uh, so Brad was. I uh, remember Gomer. Now, yeah. did they did they run that little uh, kind of off the grid dining thing upstairs in Gomer's? Yes, Brad, Bradley did that one. Bradley was. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That was I a, was kind of a little secret kitchen up there. Yeah. I was part of that. One oh, of, cool. One of my I, one of my more bohemian lady friends took me up there to mm -hmm. yeah that was bradley did that and uh, wow brad and kathleen have done just great work i mean it's really really been instructive to see them uh turn turn ayers into a, a high quality wine getting great reviews getting, and the, I, I just want to point out that at some point we'll do an entire podcast on Loy's Bohemian Girlfriend. Oh, I think so. you could you mm -hmm. could do a couple of that's a series. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. that's a yeah, podcast series. What about uh, uh, wine shops around the area? Uh, I know you maybe maybe you work with some, maybe you don't, but uh, uh, no, you know, I've been out, I've been stopping by Underdog out in Brookside. Oh yeah, Underdog's like great. That. Yeah, yeah Ryan there. does a great job there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean you know Cellarat uh, uh, and Underdog and Gomer's Midtown mm -hmm. and. Uh, on and on and on. Frankly, uh, I deal with Lucas uh, yeah. here at the restaurant, uh, but Marshall Ryman does great work, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. Gomer's, you know, uh, Gomer's out in Kansas. I mean, there's just there's a lot of good mm -hmm. uh, stores. But I always tell people stop worrying about how much a wine costs, and, and instead get to know the damn retailer. So because because you'll save money if they sell you wine you like, and if they don't, if they sell you wine that isn't very good, even though it got great scores. The hell are you buying it for if you don't like you it? You just become uh, a gifter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I don't remember his last name, but we used to always chat just like that with Mike down at Crown Center Wine Shop. Oh, sure, years of course. Ago. Yeah, Mike. Michael. Uh, I don't know where and he, he was is out now. at High V for a while. In yes, he was. Or something. Yeah, yeah, he did that for a while, yeah. and I don't know where he is now. I've lost track mm -hmm, of the man, yeah. but he was just a. A really great guy, and uh, but no, there's there's wonderful retailers all around mm -hmm. this town. There's great people that you know. I, You've I, known a lot of them for 30, 40 years. Oh, exactly, and they're, they're nice people, and they're tr all trying to do a good job. Whether you know it's like Red X or things like that, it's, it's there's there's plenty of places that people don't know about that that now uh, they should just go find that retailer that's really passionate about wine. Let me grab your uh, your two or three page uh, bio here again and and mention uh, it's not just wine but you you deal with the uh, spirits also yes indeed and there's a lot of uh, folks creating their own spirits around the area here yeah that has that has this is not burgeoning anymore Vodkas really is wine yeah whiskeys yeah it's 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 gone well here there's um uh, probably the 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 you know Spirit leader is is Rieger, mm -hmm. but Union Horse uh, was was active before that, and and there's a lot of good stuff going on here. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's um, still under development, really. Union Horse That's is in Lenexa, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. We've got um, a couple popping out in the Independence area, also. That are, yeah, that that's are what I hear. Along before too long, so yeah, yeah, it's kind of like the brewery scene here too. There, there's some really high quality beers being made mm -hmm. around that. Uh, Strongman vodka is that it? Don't they make that up in the caves? Up oh in yes, uh, Platte uh, City yes. in that area. That's not Platte quite. City, but that's Parkville. quite a good vodka. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, indeed, strong. Yeah, yeah um, at, at, I, I think those. I think they're making good stuff. They make a nice gin up mm -hmm. there as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's. Great production happening all around. You could really do just um, local products across the board if you wanted to in a bar, but I'm afraid I'm I'm that person who's just too too in love with some of those other products sure, to, yeah. to to be able to do that. Now we are recording this uh, here at the wonderful restaurant at 1900 the day before Thanksgiving, and probably won't uh, 
get it up into the world and he'll after that. So you'll have to use this for future reference. But what's the wine to buy and sell and eat with your turkey? It depends upon what you like. Rosé is an easy one. A lot of people like dry rosés, and that's a big category now. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for most of my adult life, I have an uh, off-sweet German Riesling because uh, I like those wines, one. Mm -hmm. Two, there's so many foods that are on the, the Thanksgiving table that are kind of sweet. Yeah. And, and it's better if the wine has some of that residual sweetness as well. Um, but but uh, when people ask for red wine, I'm like, do Syrah, do Pinot Noir, but uh, you know, get something that has some nice bright fruit to it. It comes back to, I tell people, stop worrying about matching the wine and the food. Match the wine and the people. Mm -hmm. if, okay. if I have people coming over who like sweet wines, damn it, we're having sweet wines. And if I like have people coming over that just want big, bold cabs, damn it, that's what we're having. And I'm Throw in a bottle of sparkling well, so that go. those people are happy. That yeah, sure. Say, oh, I don't want rosé, I don't want, right? Mm -hmm. It's like champagne makes pretty much everybody happy. Although they always say, oh, it makes me drunk so quickly. Mm -hmm. and, and here, it went Those back are the people who need to drink champagne. <laughs> That's really true. <laughs> you know, back when I was a, a, a banquet manager in my embassy suites days, uh, I learned a lesson as to why champagne makes everyone drunk faster because people say well the bubbles it's the bubbles that <laughs> that rush the alcohol in your yes. bloodstream yeah. yeah and and if there were carbon dioxide bubbles in your bloodstream death would be the result yeah. of drunkenness <laughs> but what happens is is that I, I remember if I had I just had that rule I got a hundred people coming in they only want to do a red wine we'll probably put 18 bottles behind the bar I got a hundred people coming in they're gonna do a white wine. Let's go ahead and put three cases, 36 bottles behind the bar. I got 100 people coming in, we're doing champagne or sparkling wine, give me six cases. They're gonna drink like it's soda pop. Yeah. And then go, oh, it makes me so drunk. Uh -huh. It's because you just drank a bottle. Yeah, okay. you drank it like it was Fresca. Yeah, it goes down like Fresca, you know, but it's, sure, it's the bubbles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my. God. Well, Doug Frost, what a blast, man. Uh, we could go on forever. Uh, so much. I think we have. Uh, yeah. We <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to cut out all all of the stuff that's overtly, I mean, bizarrely in, of a sexual nature. Oh, okay. That's so a shame. we'll cut this down. That's a shame. To we're going to cut out about three hours, and we're yeah. going to make this about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. a shame. Oh, I, I can tell you one story though that I have to tell you that okay. that you won't be able to to use. Um, that um, when I got my MW, uh, when I actually went over to receive it, because uh, you take the exam and then three months later they tell you the results, and then two months after that they say, come to London and receive your certificate. And, and I was like, hell yeah, I'm going. And, uh, and there's this young, uh, not young, but this little tiny Scottish MW who is one of the teachers that we had here named uh, uh, Fiona Roberts, and I love this woman. She just has a seriously hilarious sense of humor and, and ribald as well. So I knew I could do this. We walk into the big, uh, 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 before the, they give out the certificates, they do what's called a claret tasting, which is a Bordeaux tasting. It's very, you know, it, it's very quiet. It's very, everybody's walking around. And everybody, uh, I knew that I had already, already fucked up because my friend Mary Mulligan and I had both taken the exam and both passed, but you know, you don't find out about it. And we haven't seen each other since then. So I see Mary, because we had gone out to lunch right after the exam and compared notes, even though she said, whatever we do, let's not talk about the exam. What'd you think wine five was? Well, I know what it was, you know. Blah, blah. So anyway, Mary and I see each other for the first time and 
everybody's being really quiet. But I'm like, Mary! She's like, Dad! We're like, yeah! <laughs> no, the Americans are in the <laughs> house for yeah. sure. Uh-huh. And, and I could see several people kind of laughing. It's like, oh my God. And then, But I could see Michael Broadbent, the very famous uh, wine writer, sort of do the... And, and he'd been famous back in those, you know, this is 30 years ago. He'd been famous back in those days that he didn't want Americans in. He, mm-hmm. he wanted the MW to remain British. Only. Okay, yeah. And I looked over and I, I was like, oh, boy. So I walk over and I start talking to Fiona. And what I said, did the Fiona? provocateur yeah, do Yeah, exactly. Then? I'm like, Fiona, would you, would you do a favor with me? She's like, she's like what is it, dear? Because she's this little Scottish lass. And, and I said, well, you know, Broadbent really didn't appreciate that Mary and I made so much noise over there. Why, why don't we go? Why don't we go fuck with Broadbent a little bit? And she's like, "After you, dearie." <laughs> and so we walk over. We get really close to him as he's trying to taste this wine. But we, you know, we get right in there and we grab the same wine. I said, "Oh, Fiona." This wine seems to have a bulging vein. And she says, oh, I think it has erect nipples. <laughs> <laughs> and so we start describing every wine in sexual terms. Oh, that's funny. Until he yeah. literally ran from the room. It was just great. It was really fun. No so. sex for those British. Oh, oh not. man. No sex, please. We're British. And that's, that's a good say. story. I think we'll run that. <laughs> Yes, wine can have erect oh. nipples. All right, one Who final knew? toast for yes. this show. All right. And that's yeah. a great wine, by the way. Ooh, what yeah. is it again? Ayers. Ayers. Uh, Perspective 2016, yes. yes. It is delicious. Mm-hmm. Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. All right, and thanks for uh, hosting us. Uh, yes. Restaurant at 1900, you got to check this place out. This is, this is a really different spot. And I've really looked over is. the menu, and they have some really interesting items on it's here. It's great. Yeah. I've eaten here many times. Mm-hmm. Love it. Cool. Should, should we order some stuff? Sure. I think we'll end the show and eat some food. Right on. Thanks so much to Doug Frost for telling us all today. And think of us next time you want to hear some interesting talk from interesting people. You might love it. You might hate it. It's my favorite freaking show. Yeah.